Welcome to the Ramp Church Podcast. We are so honoured that you've joined us today and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Ramp Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website, ramp.church forward slash mcr or find us on social media. Now let's head straight into this week's message. joy to be with you guys here again in person. I feel like we still can't overstate that, that we have come through a lockdown and we now have the ability to sit in this room um, and just enjoy each other face to face. Amen. I'm going to just share a couple things. I want to share with you um, a message that actually somebody gave to me this week. Um, as I've been, I've been actually doing this course with this charity called Home for Good. How many of you have heard for Home for Good? It's an adoption and fostering agency based here in England. And um, I've been doing a six-week course because Joe and I are, what, seven or eight years into an adoption process (laughs) that we're now able to pick back up because we have the right visa status. So I want to share with you a word that was shared with me earlier this week. But before I do, um, I have a little mini word first. So... Well, we, we've been praying for Ramp Church. We love to pray for Ramp Church, to pray for um, all of us to just grow in love, grow in maturity. We pray the scripture over um, Ramp Church. We just pray what we feel the Holy Spirit lays on our heart. And it's so helpful to pray for the church you're committed to because it enlarges your love for the people you're running with. I love what, I think it was William Law, he said, there's nothing that makes you love a man more than praying for him. And I often find that it's, if I start praying about something, if I increase my prayer, my complaints start to decrease. And then if I could just say from pastoral seat that most people who've really got skin in the game praying for Ramp Church rarely have complaints about Ramp Church. It's all y'all that don't pray for us, that have the complaints about us. So get some skin in the game and let your heart be opened in the place of prayer, uh, open to genuinely love. So we've been praying different passages, you know, regularly Ephesians 4 where it's talking about the church and it's summarizing, you know, how Christ joined us together and, and he says, you know, so we can all reach the full measure, the fullness of God and we can be healthy growing and full of love. Isn't that awesome? This beautiful picture of why has God brought all of us together? Why has he connected believers all over the, all over the world in these communities? And then why has he said, now stay there and let your roots go deep? Because God wants us to grow. He wants us to increase in love. And I don't know about you, but I have found that if I want to grow in love, I actually have to be around people. Right? So he puts us together in all these different walks of life and different backgrounds and cultures and, and where we can misunderstand each other and we can offend each other. And he says, grow in love. <laughs> it's like a parent in the house just hearing the kids like stomping around and arguing and you're just like, bless them, Lord. Just help them up there. Work it out. This is a great growth opportunity. I feel like that's somehow the church. Somehow God just puts us all together and he's like, giving you my Holy Spirit. Now grow in love together. And you do that by committing to each other, not by backing away from each other. So as we've been praying, there's actually been um, a couple dreams that have come up this week. 
about something that I feel is not necessarily exposing a current issue, but I feel like it's important just to touch on as a warning because, right, we know the enemy is opposed to anything of love, anything of the kingdom of God. He's scheming about how to get us divided. So two dreams pop up in the same week about the same topic as we're praying all these prayers for Ramp Church. And I feel like what the Lord is doing through some of these dreams is he pulls back the curtain on the plan of the enemy. And when he gives us a dream that sometimes pulls back the curtain on the enemy, it's not so we're fearful. No, he never wants to lead us to fear. It's because once the enemy is exposed, his power starts to unravel. He works in darkness. He works in our ignorance. So sometimes God gives us dreams, as you see throughout all of the scripture, a third of all man's interactions with God actually involve dreams. As God speaks to us in dreams sometimes, it's giving us prayer strategy. It's helping us be sober-minded in the battle. It's helping us be awake and alert to what's going on so we don't fall into the traps of the enemy because we're all human. We know in part. We prophesy part. So it's helpful to have some um, insight from God. So we get a couple of dreams, and in short, the dreams are just about a plan of the enemy through gossip and slander. And of course, everybody's like, oh, I hate gossip. You start running out the doors of the church right away. Even I mean, utter that word. Nobody likes it. But we're all prone to it, right? James 3, James 2, he says, you'd have to be perfect to not err in this area. And if you can have control over your tongue, James says you're perfect and complete and you're mature. But then he says all of us fall short in this area, right? And ain't that the truth? Nobody, I don't care how well-meaning and how sanctified and consecrated you are. When you read verses like everything you've said in the secret will be shouted from the mountaintops, don't tell me you don't tremble a little on the inside, right? All of us do. When you read Jesus' words in Matthew that says that every one of our idle words will be held to account, don't tell me you don't quiver a little bit and grab hold of the horns of the altar. (laughs) All of us... All of us are a work in progress. And it's not that we're going to be perfect, but we have to be aware. We have to be pointed in the right direction. So real quick, I want to remind you just of a couple of things. I want to remind you to guard your heart. Proverbs 4, 23 and 24 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. The very next verse says, avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. And you can't avoid perverse talk if you don't have a pure heart. You've got to guard your heart. You've got to guard your heart. You've got to process your pain in God's presence. You've got to keep check on your heart. Jesus said in uh, Matthew 12, 34, he said, whatever is in your heart determines what you say. And listen to what the definition of slander is in the King James Bible. It's a false report or tale that is maliciously uttered, tending to injure the reputation of another by lessening him in the esteem of someone else. So it's conversation that's like handing somebody like a glass of water that's toxic, it's polluted. They ingest that conversation, and then their view, their honor of that person starts to break down in them. So if we want a healthy church, wave your hand, point to your mouth, (laughs) point to your heart. You want a loving church, 
Be loving. You want a pastoral church? Be pastoral. You want a prophetic church? Stop using your mouth to gossip. So we're responsible for the church that we have. We, we are responsible for that. So we guard our heart. We guard our mouth because you don't want your conversation to start breaking down honor in people's heart towards others. And then, of course, there's loads of scriptures I don't have time to get on, but gossip, busybody, Paul puts those words right with some very, what we would call, severe sense, right? Right up there with murder and people rejecting God, next line slandering, next line gossip. And we think, well, how in the world, Paul, can you put slander and gossip with people who hate God? And all of our sin, any kind of breakdown of our heart is a breakdown of, it causes sin and it requires repentance. So here's what I want us to do. I just want you to Real quick, I want you to guard your heart. I want you to take captive your thoughts. Watch your thoughts. The scripture says you actually have to take captive your thoughts. You're not like a victim of your thoughts. Your thoughts not just flowing around and you can't help it. You've got authority over your thoughts. So you take your thoughts captive to honor. You take your thoughts captive. Some things that you're going to come across, you'll have to just cover in love. If somebody corrected you about every single thing that you did wrong, how would you feel? There's no way you could function. You can't point out every single thing that needs tweaking people. You've got to learn that love covers and sometimes love confronts. And so wisdom and maturity is being able to know what do I cover and what do I confront. Maturity is the ability to discern. Okay, Lord, this is really about me growing in maturity, not about everybody else being perfected around me. Your maturity is how you respond to people's immaturity. So you've got to guard your heart. You've got to take your uh, thoughts captive. Process your pain in God's presence. We're going to talk a bit about that in a bit. And then watch your mouth. Oh, don't you hate it sometimes? Sometimes with good friends, you know, I'll be talking, 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 and then I'll leave that conversation. I'll be like, dear God. Dear God, I need to repent. (laughs) Dear God, I didn't know that was in there. And some of you, if you're an outward processor, raise your hand. We need extra mercy. Come on, we don't realize how in error we are until it comes out of our mouth and we're shocked and horrified. And so you've got to watch your mouth and then you've got to right your wrongs. Right your wrongs. Watch your mouth and right your wrongs because you're going to make mistakes. And so you've got to be humble. You've got to call. You've got to send the text. Oh, Holy Spirit was grieved. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Then leave it there. Don't go on with some long explanation on why you said it was okay. Just let the apology be an apology. Don't justify why you had to say it, why it hurt so bad, why, 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 why. No, that's still about you. Learn to right your wrongs. To eat the fruit of your mouth, even when it's bitter. And apologize and make it right. So guard your heart, take captive your thoughts, process your pain in God's presence, watch your mouth, right your wrongs. And you know what? We're going to be a community that's not perfect because we're still human, but we're going to be pointed in the right direction. And just as important as it is for us to not slip up, it's important for us to learn mercy. It's important for us to learn how to forgive 
Those are just as much as part of God's sanctification plan for us as being able to do the right thing all the time. Some of us love to be right, but we hate having to be shown mercy. And we're all in this process of becoming like Jesus. So be on guard. Be on guard. The enemy wants to trip us up and separate us and break down what we're trying to build here, a culture of honor where we honor one another as God has given us his image to bear here in this city. Amen. So, Lord, we just commit that to you. And we thank you, Lord, that we don't walk in the darkness, but we walk in the light. And that your spirit is helping us grow in love. And your spirit is helping us become mature so we can be entrusted with more. Entrusted with more of your glory and your presence. We say yes to that, and we thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your patience towards us, your commitment towards us, your belief that your people can dwell together in unity. We thank you, and we agree with that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, all right, I'm going to share just a little bit. Um, This is about how to hold on to God when it's hard. How to hold on to God. You could fill in the blank. When life is hard, when obedience is hard, when love is hard. And this was a word that was uh, shared to me in this course I've been doing with Home for Good on adoption and fostering. And just a little side note here, this is actually National Adoption Week. So I just want to give a shout out. I want to first thank thank God for charities like Home for Good who uh, tell us about needs like this that we wouldn't necessarily know about. And here in the UK, every 15 minutes, a new child enters into the care system. And there are around 8,600 new foster carers needed right now to meet the needs of children in care. Or you could put it this way, there's a shortage of 8,600 people willing to care for vulnerable children in this city. Almost half of all placement decisions, social workers have no choice about where they put the kids. And according to the most recent figures, almost 3,000 children waiting for adoption. 27% of children have been waiting for over 18 months for a family. And then children who wait the longest are kids over four, kids with medical needs, teens, black and ethnic minority children. Black and ethnic minority children make up 5% of the UK's children, and they make up 7% of looked after children but only 2% of black and ethnic minority children get adopted. I feel like we can do something to change that. What about you? You know, about seven years ago, in 2013, Joe and I received just a word, a very clear word about adoption. And it came so out of the blue. I, I didn't know anybody who had adopted. I didn't know anything about adoption. I, was, I felt like, honestly, like I was just barely parenting, like had the ability to parent biological kids. And I, and I remember in prayer, God started speaking to us, and I really felt like if there was ever a word that I felt like, God, I think you've got the wrong person, it was the word about adoption. I always thought of adoption as like something for like super saints for like super special parents, like parents who are just super patient and just so loving and parents who are just like, I don't know, another level of parenting. 
And I'm like down here just like on very average to mediocre level of parenting. And I get this word about adoption and, and Joe gets this word. It's confirmed three times in a dream that he has. And so we are like, this is the most significant word we'd ever received from the Lord other than the word to move here to Manchester. And I am just baffled by this word. And so we start, you know, I don't have like warm, fuzzy feelings about it. I'm like, um, <laughs> okay, bring a traumatized child into our family. You have no professional experience when it comes to trauma. You have no professional medical experience. You have basically no experience with anything that would help the situation <laughs> except a hearing ear. And so as, as I'm processing this, you know, and I'm just coming before the Lord, I just it was a, we, we stepped out, we started our adoption process, we, we actually were approved, we were on the waiting list, all of it had gone, gotten um, kind of sorted, and then we were uh, called to England, and uh, called to the UK, and that was part of God's timing, even in some of the words that brought us over here, um, there, were, there were little tidbits about the adoption. So then we moved to Scotland, we had to wait, uh, they didn't know how to handle our case, uh, on the adoption agencies, they were like, wow, I have no idea how to make your situation work. And then we moved to Manchester, and we had to get visa status. So here we are seven years later, and we're finally picking it back up again. And we've started the process of just all the learning, all the training. And, um, and, and if you ask me about it, how, how do you feel about it, Stacey? Do you, do you feel, like, excited? Do you feel like, this is where I'm at right now, but keep checking with me. I feel right now I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to be obedient to God. And some words you get from God, you're not going to have a gush of emotion about it. Some words that God gives you, you're not going to be like, oh, I've always wanted to do that, God. Some words you get from God, you're like, come again? Some words you get, you're wrestling like Jacob and the angel. You're determined you're going to win, and God's like, uh-uh. So how am I about it? I'm, I'm going to just be obedient. And, and regardless of any kind of prophetic or angelic visitation, I have this word, which is enough, which shares this incredible heart and emphasis all throughout Scripture, God's heart for the poor and the vulnerable, God's heart for the oppressed, God's heart for those who don't have a home, God's heart for those who don't have a family. And that's encouraging because I know I'm not going wrong. It's like all right here in red. I've got this to fall back on. I've got Isaiah 58 about if you spend yourself for the poor and the broken, then your light will begin to turn on. Your weary life will be bathed with strength. All those beautiful promises in Isaiah 58, those are after Israel starts spending their lives on the down and out. So I've got this word of God here in writing that I can look at. And I've got the Holy Spirit in me. And sometimes I just pray. I pray what Reese Howell prays when, he was, when the Holy Spirit would ask Reese Howell something and he didn't know how in the world he was ever going to be able to say yes to that because it was just too hard. Reese Howell would just pray, pull me through, Holy Spirit. Pull me through. I'm not there yet, but I want to be there, God. I don't love like you love yet. I don't care like you care yet, but pull me through, Holy Spirit. And you know, we think that grace comes before obedience, but obedience comes first and then grace. Obedience first and then comes the divine empowerment, the desire, the want to. Why do so many words from God get unfulfilled? I think it's because his people are just waiting around for a fuzzy feeling. We're just waiting for some like tsunami of passionate desire to hit us in the face carry us along. 
And I think in our immaturity, when we're young, sometimes he gives us those things. But as we mature in God, it's what Jesus told Peter in John 21. He says, when you were young, you dressed and you went where you wanted to go. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and somebody will lead you where you don't want to go. In the kingdom, maturity doesn't look like you getting to do more of what you want to do. Maturity looks like your ability to stretch out your hands and be led by someone else where maybe you don't want to go. We make everything, how do we do it? I'm guilty, guilty, guilty. How do we make everything about our personal fulfillment? Why do we think everything God has to tell us has to revolve around our personal fulfillment? This is one of the great sins of the leaven of the West. Is bringing every prophetic word, having to connect every prophetic word back to personal desire. When Jesus looked to the crowds and he said over and over, if you want to follow me, if you want to find your life, you have to give up your own way. Pick up your cross, deny yourself. He didn't say, follow me to fulfill yourself. He said, pick up your cross, follow me, deny yourself. And he said, if you can let go of your life, you'll find true life. We're so temporal-minded. We think it's like a little tiny kid. It's like we have to have immediate gratification. And if there's delayed gratification regarding the word, we're like, oh, that's not hitting the want-to chord, God. I'm not feeling that, God. I'm passionate about this over here, but you're asking me to do that over there. I'll just have to wait on that until I feel passionate about it. This is not the path that Jesus walked, this path of finding life, of trusting him of trusting him, where we put our trust in his love, that if he asks you to do something, this is what I like to do in my head. This is a little trick I play on myself. It's true, though. I lay out the different scenarios, what I think would be good, maybe even what the world thinks would be good, maybe what family thinks would be good, maybe things I want, things I'm, like, feeling. And then I have God's word and what God has said and where God has put me. And I look at all of those and I say, Stacy, out of everything, what he wants for me is what's best for me. What he wants for me is what's best for me. And that's why you have to trust and obey. And that's why, like the little song says, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And it takes trust to obey. Because if you're not feeling it, and you're not like passionate about it, and you don't understand it, and you don't feel prepared for it, then your obedience is going to make logical sense, but it's not going to require trust. And trust and obedience, they're two in one. Every step of obedience is a step of trust. Every bit of trust is going to require some action that takes you outside of your comfort zone. So we get this word, you know, about um, adoption, and we start stepping out and learning and opening our heart, and we get these amazing just encouragement and 
and different things that God's just pushing us forward in this. But you hear about, and one of this is important for any adoption agency, is to pop the bubble. <laughs> to pop the bubble of this thing that you imagine it to be. You know, so sometimes you'll try to psych yourself up and you're like, oh, I'm going to get a really cute kid and the kid's going to love me and the kid's going to want to snuggle with me. And then you get in these training classes and they're like, the kid may hate you and you may, you may never be able to hug it. <laughs> Just a little example, I'm exaggerating here, but what are they doing? They're trying to, they're trying to shape your expectations around reality. Because if you have expectations here and reality down here, you're going to fill that gap with something going to be filled with disappointment, then it'll start filling with uh, disillusionment, maybe some offense and depression. So it's important to have these accurate expectations, right? And that's even what Jesus is doing so much as he's talking to his disciples, as he's trying to prepare them and shape their expectation for what it means to follow them. Because they think Jesus being Messiah means they're going to sit on a throne and rule over Rome. And he's telling them, no, they're going to throw you out of synagogues and your family members are going to hate you. (laughs) He's trying to adjust their expectations. He's trying to shape their expectations. He's trying to give them hope seen beyond the temporary realm into the eternal realm. But he's trying to also shape this expectation. Just because you follow me doesn't mean I'm rolling the red carpet out for you here on earth. If they treated me this way, they'll treat you this way. Shaping our expectations. This is why we need the word. This is why you need to read the word. You need to shape your expectations based on what happened to people in this book who followed Jesus. That way when things get hard for you and you're not feeling it, you don't believe the lie that you weren't meant for it. That way when things get tough, you don't get jaded, but you see, no, this is normal. I was made for this. This is temporary. This leads to glory, but this is suffering right now. You've got to shape your expectations. And just like Joe was talking about earlier, how oftentimes we don't realize how affected we are by the culture we live in. Our Christianity can be affected by these ideas, can be permeated with these ideas that Jesus is somehow supposed to make my life suffering free. Sometimes we can be shaped by this whole thing that here on earth, if I trust in Jesus, I'm entitled to a life of ease. I'm entitled to suffering free existence because Jesus, I follow you. But tell me, how does that line up with this book? How does that line up with this book here on earth? Now in glory in heaven, and taste of glory in heaven here on earth? But come on, we were meant to find him in the furnace. We were meant to walk through the water with him. We were meant to go through difficulty because just like any relationship, give me any relationship. Tell me, after you went through a bit of conflict, did that relationship have a chance to grow deeper? Oh, some of the most precious relationships in my life are the relationships where I have walked through stuff with people. Why do we expect it to be different for God and us? So three things, how to hold on to God when life is hard. Because sometimes life is hard. 
because we make poor choices and then we have to deal with the consequences. Sometimes life is hard because we're doing it our own way instead of God's way. Sometimes life is hard, though, because you are following God. And people don't like it. And your flesh is kind of screaming there on the altar, half alive and half dead. And that's hard. And sometimes life is hard because there's persecution and opposition. But just because life is hard doesn't mean God's not right up in the mix of it. And just because the season may look different doesn't mean God's not in it. So three things. First, you need to learn to lament. Learn to lament. Now, lament is what we do as the people of God to give voice to our pain in seasons of not yet. Lamenting is all throughout scriptures. It's in the Psalms. There's a whole book, Lamentations. And it's people who, like it says in Psalms 142, Psalm 142, verse 2, says, I pour out my complaint before him. It's getting in the presence of God and being honest about how you feel. It's getting in the presence of God like in Lamentations 2.19. Arise, cry out, pour out your heart like water in God's presence. It's a passionate expression of grief or loss, but it's also a declaration of hope. At the end of these laments in, in the Bible, there's often an And yet I will praise you. Yet I call this to mind and therefore I have hope. There's a pain, but there's a yet of hope that's pulled in. It gives a voice to the pain, but it anchors our heart in hope. And hope is not some fluffy emotion. Hope is confidence in the character of God. Hope is not tied to a circumstantial outcome. Hope is based in the character of God. It's who God is that anchors our hope. It's who he is that anchors our ability to have hope. It lives, lament is what lives in between. The here I am now, but there's what he promised. It's that in-between. And sometimes we think we can't pour out our complaint to God and we can't voice our pain because we don't want to complain and we don't want to murmur and we don't want to, we don't want to uh, whine. And I'm telling you, all that's going to come out. It's going to come out somewhere. I hate to break it to you. It's coming out to your wife over dinner when you're not talking to her. It's coming out to your kids when you're yelling at them before breakfast. The pain is coming out. It's coming out. The complaints, it's coming out. It's coming out to your boss when you roll your eyes behind his back. It's coming. Pain will come out. And I don't care how self-controlled you are, it's coming out. It may be coming out in your physical health. Maybe coming out in other ways. But you are meant to process your pain in God's presence. And when you pour out your heart to God, you don't just say the complaint and then be see you later. You come before God. This is what I love. These, these little, you, you, when you come to God in lament, when you're coming to him with grief and sadness, you're just coming, you're turning towards him. It's turning towards God in the midst of pain. Because often when we're grieving, when we don't understand what our instinct, our, our sin nature wants us to turn away from God in pain. I don't understand that. I can't talk to you about that. 
But lament is turning towards God in pain. It's turning towards God in grief. It's turning towards him in loss. So turn towards him. And then you voice your heart. You know this, but he already sees it anyway. He sees your heart. And just because you're not telling him about it doesn't mean it's not there. But if you can talk to him about it, he can show up and help you with it. So it turns you towards God. It brings your complaint humbly and honestly. It brings out our, in, our internal disappointment, frustration, anger, out into his holy presence where he can judge it where he can look at it, where he can let his fire fall on it, where he can bind up the wounds, where he can bring us close. And then we ask boldly for help. This is an act of faith, in pain, in grief, in loss, to turn towards God, to vocalize the, the, what's on the inside, to get it out in his presence, and then to just ask for his help. And sometimes all that is is just uttering his name, Jesus. Jesus. And then we choose to trust. And that's where the and yet. The Psalms is saying, and yet I will praise God. Jeremiah in Lamentation saying, and this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. Lament leads to trust. All roads when we process our grief with God, we become those who grieve with hope. So learn to lament. Learn to deal with the pain. You can try to prophesy it away and declare it away night and day, but I feel like we've probably already been there, done that, and decided it doesn't work very well. You're human. You made a flesh and bone. It says he's tender and compassionate towards us because he knows what we're made of. Like a father is compassionate towards his children, so the father is compassionate towards those who fear him. And some of you will never, you won't be able to experience his compassion until you're honest about your pain. And you won't be able to receive his comfort until you acknowledge that you're not okay. So you learn to lament. And then... Remember the call. Remember all throughout Scripture, we are, we are told over and over to remember certain things. Now, depending on what the, the circumstances, maybe it's simply what Hebrews 12:2 says, remember Jesus and remember the suffering he endured. Remember Jesus. Remember the hostility he endured from such sinful men so you do not grow weary and lose heart. You, again, taking your thoughts captive, lead them back to him, the price he paid to have you. Remember the call he gave you. The supernatural signs and wonders in Egypt, remember those when you're in the wilderness begging for water. Remember what he's done. Remember some of the things you've told him. When you were awake, the prayers you prayed to him, that he could have it all, that he was more than enough, that you wanted him more than silver or gold. Remember that when you don't have a job or any money. <laughs> Remember it. Take your own words seriously. 
So lament, learn to lament, and then remember. Remember Jesus and what he suffered. Remember the prayers you prayed. Remember the call he gave. Remember his faithfulness. And remember, this is temporary. This pain, this suffering, like a blink of an eye. This life, the span of a man's hand, like a piece of grass on the field, like a wild flower in the field, like a fog that's here and gone tomorrow. This life here, fleeting, passing, filled with purpose and and making up a whole well and bank of glory for the future. This is not the end. This is the middle. Remember that. And last... Don't do life on your own. We've talked so much about community. I'm not going to go into all of it again. But all throughout Scripture, even Paul, Jesus, he had these disciples. I mean, even think about that. All the suffering and everything Jesus went through beautifully, poetically described in Isaiah 53. He was rejected. He was a man of sorrow. And yet he was also a man who chose to do life with 12 others. With three, Peter, James, and John as his, like, besties. Jesus, the Son of God, had besties, had people that he leaned on. Come on, you cannot cope with your own pain. Listen to what I love what this um, article I was reading says. When we act like we can handle our suffering on our own, we commit idolatry. Acting like we are God, capable in ourselves to handle our own stuff. Our ability to be open with our pain is an act of humility and it honors those around us. And what's most common though, and we've all been guilty of this as well, is this, I was going through a really hard time a few weeks ago, but I'm better now and I'm telling about you, and, and you're counting that as vulnerability, but that's not being vulnerable. <laughs> that's, that's, that's you sorting through your stuff and then bringing it out when it's nice and shiny for everybody. Community and processing pain together is, I'm in the middle of this. I don't know if I'm going to get through it. Um, and I hope that you just take this as a note that I need help. This is not, let me tell you what God's been showing me. This is like the, the ugly cry. This is the ugly cry and this is like vulnerability hangover. This is like, did I just tell them all of that? Did I really just open up that much? What do they think about me? Welcome to now being vulnerable. That is vulnerable. That's being vulnerable. It's not, I'm going to fast and pray so I don't have to tell anybody. I'm going to sort this battle on my own so I can maintain an image of them. That's not being vulnerable. And why do we not flourish? We die on the inside when we believe those lies. And let me tell you, some of you, you're like, well, I want to have people that I can be vulnerable with. Then pray and be that for other people. Be the friend that you want to have. Don't look at me to be that for you. I can't be that for 200 of you. Make your own friends. Okay? (laughs) I'll pray for you and I'll provide a place for you to encounter the corporate presence of God. But don't be expecting me to be your BFF, okay? You make your friends. You be a friend to other people. You get your own relationships and you dig with blood, sweat, and tears. And then you stay around when it hurts so you can eat the sweet fruit yourself instead of stealing fruit from somebody else. Get your own good relationships. 
Stop blaming the church that you attend and the lack of community and the lack of pastoral care because you're dysfunctional in relationships. You've got to work your way like blind Bartimaeus. You've got to be desperate. You've got to be crying out in desperation. You're humiliated. Your desperation is causing a little bit of humiliation. You're so hungry for healing. You don't care what people think. You're reaching out. And you're going to find what God intended you to have. Well, you're more powerful than you think you are. So let's learn to do this together. And as Joe and I step out in our different words of obedience, we're looking at you, and God's given you guys some hard things to do as well. And I just think of you, all you disciples. Jesus gave us all the same call to count the cost, because there is a cost. It's free to receive God's salvation, but it's costly. Like love is costly, right? Any kind of love, if there's no cost to love, is it really love? If there's no sacrifice, if there's no inconvenience, is there really depth of relationship? Salvation is free. Salvation is free, but you can get saved, but you're not just meant to get saved from hell. You are meant to receive and give the love that God has for you. And love is costly. Purpose is costly, but you were made for it. And how are you going to do it? Just one little step at a time. That's why I love the whole analogy of just follow me. When he looked at those disciples, he knew what kind of death they would die. He knew one of them would be burned alive in oil and another would be hung upside down. He knew they'd be thrown away. He didn't tell them all of it. He shaped their expectations and he said, follow me. Just one step at a time. Follow me. How can you do this? Just one step at a time, obedience. What's God asking? We'll say, well, I don't know if God's asked me to do anything hard. Just read this right here. Maybe start with the book of Matthew and read those, le- those red letters, the book of Matthew, where Jesus is saying, forgive the people who hurt you and be kind to them when they're unkind to you. Just start obeying those words. And then go to Ephesians. And read those and just start obeying that. You don't have to have some kind of flashy prophetic experience. You've got the written word, and that's enough to start with. That's, that's all you need, that daily bread. You just obey the word. Obey the word. It leads to life. Let's ask the band to come.